Listeners, we want to hear from you. Find us on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at GravelTrapF1. And share your love for F1 with us. So wait, OnlyFans has a team? Absolutely. Welcome back to the Gravel Trap F1 podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Christina. All of us have been struggling without Formula One for the last few weeks. So today, we're going to talk a little bit about what series you can watch in the meantime. I traveled to Nashville, Tennessee to chat with the VP of Business Operations of U.S. Legend Cars, a nostalgic and very affordable race series. And I'm going to give you the tools to get started with following IndyCar racing. At the checkered flag, our producer Buck will tell us all about a weekend of GT car racing out in Sonoma, California. It's going to be an educational episode that'll help you get your racing fix whenever F1 is on a break. Enjoy! Anyone who's unfamiliar with IndyCar, let's let's go over just a couple of quick things that are the same and kind of different about it than Formula One. So IndyCar, the cars look fairly similar. The biggest visual difference I think that you'll see is that the chassis are a little bit more simplified. They don't have as many funky side pods. It is a standard chassis, so all of the cars are running the same ones. But even if you were just to compare the IndyCar chassis to all of the other ones in Formula One, it is a lot simpler. There are fewer grooves and different directions that you can imagine the airflow going around it. So straight off the bat, there's that. It's also standard engines. There's only two engine manufacturers. All of the fuel is the same between the teams, as well as the tires and the aerodynamic kits. So it's not a design challenge. All the cars are closer to being the same than there are different. Of course, there are a handful of parts that the teams can design themselves, customize, and give themselves that competitive edge, but the cars are closer to being the same than they are different. Hmm. And they also don't concentrate too hard or at all on team championships. It's all about the drivers' championships, which I think is a welcome change in my mind because the inter-team drama from Formula One gets to be a little overwhelming at times. (laughs) And uh, I'm quite frankly just, I'm excited to concentrate on those handful of drivers and their championship ambitions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, for the listeners that maybe don't follow IndyCar, are there the same number of drivers in IndyCar as you see in an F1 race? No, not at all. The teams are not restricted to having the same number of drivers team to team. They can have anywhere from one to six drivers, I believe it is, although most run around like three or four, I want to say. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a lot bigger of an outfit in that sense or it can be and the thing is they don't they also don't have to run their drivers at every single race they can have a mix of full-time and part-time drivers or drivers that are sharing a car and that's the reason why it makes sense for IndyCar is because they run on different kinds of tracks in a very different way than Formula One does Formula One only does the permanent road courses as well as the temporary streets Mm-hmm. But IndyCar also does ovals and super speedways. And super speedways are just jumbo ovals, mm-hmm. the really big boys. They also, <laughs> have the, they also have the Indy 500, which is its own magical, mystical place all on its own and not really going to touch too much on it, except to say they're, the winner of the Indy 500 chugs milk. What? Yeah. There's, there's At the end of the Indy 500, you will always see somebody chugging a little thing of milk. 
Oh, at least it's small. I was gonna say, doesn't that make you throw up? I feel like I've seen before that if you chug milk too fast, like You'll you throw will throw up. Yeah. I I don't think they drink too much of the milk. I think most of it is just like a champagne pour, but with milk. Ah, like the, but milk. Like, but milk. Is there it's, a milk sponsor that like has started this or uh, I haven't looked too deeply into it, quite frankly. I just, I choose to have it remain this magical, mystical mystery for now. <laughs> this magical, milky mystery. Oh no, let's not put that in the episode. That's too weird to say. <laughs> if I was, if I was an IndyCar driver and I won the Indy 500, because I'm that nerd, I would request blue milk, like just food diet blue. So it looks like the Star Wars milk. Interesting. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. I, and this might, this might hurt some of our fans. But I've never seen the Star Wars movies, so I'm going to take your word for it. Sounds like some really cool milk. That, that sounds like an opportunity for a marathon, actually, is what it sounds like. <laughs> in this break, in this long F1 break that we're on, I'm just going to like completely switch genres. I'm going to go watch Star Wars. We have gone on quite a tangent here. But to pull it back to IndyCar. <laughs> Circling back, they sometimes do oval tracks. And that's one of the reasons why they switch out drivers sometimes, because a number of the drivers that come to IndyCar initially don't have any oval experience. And you can particularly think of a number of drivers that F1 fans would be familiar with. Marcus Erickson, Romain Grosjean, Marcus Armstrong this year, Callum Illot, probably some others whose names just aren't at the top of my mind. Mm -hmm. They're coming from Formula 2, Formula 1, where, again, it's only road and street courses. They don't have any experience with ovals. So a lot of the times during their first season, they won't do the ovals and give themselves time to learn how to do that. And instead, the teams will bring in oval specialists or even some teams only run certain drivers during ovals like they, they do it sometimes. That's really interesting. And um, we'll get to this in, in my segment that's coming later. But um, I got the chance to talk to the vice president of the U.S. Uh, Legends Cars company. He mentioned something about the difference in the tire setup for an oval race versus mm -hmm. the, the street tracks. So I was curious if you had any like information background on any of the tire setup for the IndyCars. Not for the ovals in particular. Like the one difference in tires I can tell you from Formula One is that they only bring, they only have two tire compounds. Oh. Yeah. They have their primary and then their alternate. Interesting. Yeah. And there's no spectrum. So it's just like just the two. You have what you have. And and a wet tire. They have a wet tire. Yeah. But the Indy cars go faster than the Formula One cars. They reach a higher top speed. Yeah. Gotcha. On like a long straight. Exactly, yeah. Like Formula One has higher acceleration and better agility in corners, but IndyCar speed overall wins. Interesting. Well, yeah. speaking of Formula One versus IndyCar, it's funny because I was doing a little bit of research and looking into the history of the Monza circuit. And we'll talk a little bit more about this when they go to Monza and we have our Monza episode. But actually for two years, I think I think it was the nineteen in the 1970s, they actually did a competition between the F1 cars and the Indy cars at Monza oh. for two years. And IndyCar won both years. And then they stopped doing it. I mean, it's at the Temple of Speed. So that definitely yeah. gives IndyCar the advantage. <laughs> now, the Indy cars, I've heard, are harder to drive than the Formula they 1 cars. Have... Is that true? Correct. Yeah, they don't have power steering. So they have to put a lot more force behind turning that wheel in order to mm -hmm. get it where they want it to go. And I think the biggest selling point that the Indy cars are more challenging to drive 
is that drivers that have switched from Formula One, yeah, they spent a couple of years doing that and have come over to IndyCar have also said, yeah, I'm having more of a physical challenge here really? in IndyCar than I am in, than I was in Formula One. And I believe that was Romain Grosjean that specifically said that it was more physically challenging. Which is saying a lot because Homeboy had a lot of physical challenges so in many. his Formula One car. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. You know, I love seeing him so happy in IndyCar. I just feel like he's thriving and living his best life. Like it was so fun to watch him and Marcus Armstrong and Erickson and all of them competing this past weekend as we were watching the IndyCar stuff because there's just pure racing in their hearts. Mm -hmm. And so it's so nice to see them happy in what they're doing and succeeding and doing so well. And Special shout out to Armstrong. This is his second race in India. He didn't do the oval because we've had one street course, St. Pete's, and then an oval. And so this is his second race in the series, finished eighth, made it to the second round of qualifying. And yes, he crashed out, which was like, that's too bad. But overall, like very solid performance. Really great. Really great. Mm-hmm. We love to see the success. Uh, now, I, I also noticed as we were watching that it, it looks like the Indy cars don't have the grip that Formula One cars have. Do you know mm-hmm. why that is? It comes back to what I was mentioning earlier about them having a simpler aerodynamics setup. Gotcha. So they generate less downforce. They're also smaller and lighter. They just don't have that same downforce and grip to the tracks. They slip and slide around just that little bit more or a lot more. I mean, you can visually see them slipping around. Yeah. And then I think the last thing to talk about IndyCar wise is their pit crews. Because that is, that's the one thing, aside the aero screen, they don't just have a, two things, two last things to mention. They don't just <laughs> have a halo to protect their little noggins. They also have an aero screen. I noticed that. That that paneling in front of them, yeah. Yeah. What is that all about? Like, I was like, is that supposed to be – I guess, okay. Why don't the Formula One cars have that? Because I do feel like that's super helpful. Basically, it was a choice. So both IndyCar – if I'm remembering correctly, both IndyCar and Formula One started discussing using a head protection piece around the same time period. And it came down to just – here are a bunch of the different designs and different choices that you can make as a series. And they made different choices for whatever pro cons list that both feature had. Hmm. And it seems like both racing series are content with the choice that they've made. Cause I at least haven't heard either of them discussing making a change or swapping out one for the other. I also, nice. I also haven't heard, and this is, this is something that I'd love to dig into and take a look at again, those drivers that have driven both. What do they think? How do they yeah. feel about it? Ask the drivers. Is there a preference? But anyway, the thing that I brought up initially, which was the the pit crew, they're only allowed to have six people over that pit wall. Oh. So there's only one person per tire as opposed to Formula One's three people per tire. Yeah. And as well, they do refueling. Formula One's pit stops, we see them being around two and a half, three seconds. Mm -hmm. IndyCar, because there are fewer people doing the pit stop, you're looking at six to 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like there's so many more crashes in an IndyCar race that you can take advantage of mm-hmm. because I felt like there were so there's so much more slipping and sliding and contact in oh, IndyCar yeah. than I've seen in Formula One. Yeah, they, they bump each other's elbows a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the other interesting thing that I really like that IndyCar does, 
the marshals or whoever it is, however they call their trackside aides, mm-hmm. are allowed to touch the car and help it get back on track. There are certain parameters around it, but we saw that happen a couple times in this race. Yeah. Yes. Fewer tears are shed. Oh, tell me about it. That is a look at IndyCar. It's a really good time. They have a lot more overtakes. All of the cars are so evenly matched that mm-hmm. really it's anybody's guess who could win. It's not predictable in the same way that Formula One is, Yeah, which makes it really, really fun. I actually had the chance to go to Nashville, Tennessee, one of my favorite places, last week and chat a little bit with a guy named Graham Smith. He's a friend of mine from high school, believe it or not. I got a chance to sit down and talk to him about legend cars, which to be totally honest with you, I had no idea what they were, but they're beautiful. They're really, really cool cars. Got a chance to sit and watch a whole day of racing in the legend cars with him. And he was kind enough to sit down and chat with me a little bit more about the cars, the series, what they're about, what they do. He is actually the vice president of business operations for U.S. legend cars. Uh, So he is the person to ask. He knows all about them in and out. He actually races them himself. So check out the interview right here. I'm here with Graham Smith, the VP of Business Operations here for Legend Cars. Welcome, Graham. Glad to have you. Thank you. Glad to be here. So tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you get into Legend Cars? So it's a family business. I've been uh, working for my family in the world of racing for as long as I remember. I used to race these cars growing up. When an opportunity came along to go work for the company that builds the cars I used to race, I took it up and decided to come spearhead some uh, some new projects. Yeah, so how old were you when you got your first I was nine years old when I got my first Bandolero. I got my first Legend around 16-ish. And uh, the Legend car was short-lived, but I had a lot of fun doing it. Very cool. Very cool. So how long have you been the VP? Uh, It's going on my second year now. I got got, uh, started out as managing director and moved up to VP of Business Operations last year. Um, Very much enjoyed my time, and I'm looking forward to keeping going. Very cool. Well, to our listeners, if you hear some rumblings in the background, that is the cars on the track. They're right behind us. So tell us a little bit about the cars. How much do they cost? So the cars themselves are $18,995 out the door. Ready wow. to go. All you got to do is get yourself a seat, yourself a fire suit, helmet, gloves, shoes, go race. Okay. Ready and is this is there an off season that you see more purchases or is it Christmas kind of time? Just Christmas like time. just like everything else, is when it comes to Christmas time, we start to have a lot of people come in buy cars for next year. Yeah. Oh, never got a race car myself for Christmas, but I'm sure that's a nice <laughs> gift to give your kid. I imagine so, it's yeah. really hard to wrap. Yeah, it's probably, probably a little more it. difficult to wrap. Yeah. <laughs> now, why this body style? And explain to our listeners what the body style is. Yeah, so the body style is modeled after old 30s and 40s Fords and Chevys. Uh, the idea was to kind of look like the old dwarf cars that used to race back in the day when NASCAR was still in its roots and its beginnings. Also kind of looks like the cars used to run moonshine, which is where NASCAR got its roots. Hey. Uh, the cars are small, so they can actually fit in the back of a pickup truck, specifically an F-150, is what we use to try and make sure if it can fit in the back of there, that's good to go. That's why the car is the size that it is. You don't need a trailer. You don't need to spend the extra money on a big tow behind. You just throw it back in your truck and take it to the racetrack. Yeah, it's so accessible for all ages, right? What's yeah. the, what are the age ranges for these drivers? So you can start out in a Bandolero at seven years old. You can start out in a Legend car at 10 years old. Uh, our youngest competitors in Legends are 10. Our oldest competitors in Legends are around 90 years old right now. Wow. Yeah. So Tony Stewart, 
race car driver, like famous NASCAR driver. His dad uh-huh. is racing legend cars right now up in Indianapolis. No way. Yeah. Yep. How about that? So you can lose your license on the road and still drive one of these. Correct. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's amazing. That's amazing. So are you guys the only supplier of these? We build cars? we build cars exclusively out of Harrisburg, North Carolina. Uh, those go out to 40 different states where we have dealers and 30 different countries across the world. We also have international dealers, yes. Okay, so how do the rules work when when some of the races are stateside and some of them are international? Same drivers at all of them? So in the states, we run, uh, we have a sanctioning by its in-house called NX. They run from uh, the U.S., Canada, and Australia. Those three countries get to use NX at this moment. Uh, if a track is cited, we're going to sign up to be an NX-sanctioned track. They adopt our rule book. Keeps everything very, very simple across the board. All the rules are tied up very tight to keep the cars very cheap and affordable. Yeah. Um, making racing, you know, fun for everybody. Wow. But, uh, internationally, it really just depends. You know, if you're in Italy, you might run with a, an Italian sanctioning body. If you're in Britain, you'll run on the, the British Touring Car Championship, whatever it may be. Whoever's supporting the series there, that's the rules they'll go with. Okay, cool. So... A lot of our listeners are Formula One fans. Right. And I know you're very familiar with Formula One World. Very. So how do these tracks compare or differ to some of the Formula One tracks? So the tracks we run in the U.S., majority-wise, are going to be quarter-mile asphalt ovals. It's a lot of tight racing. You're learning where to put the car to try and get an advantage over somebody. Everybody's got the same car. Everyone's going the same place. you got to figure out ways to move cars out of the way. Whereas you go to road course racing, these cars also race very well on road courses. It's going to be a lot more like your Formula style racing. There's going to be wheel-to-wheel action, not as much contact, trying to be you know, a little bit more respectful on a road course. Sure. Um, most of my international customers race road course. Um, we actually call our road course end-of-the-year event the World Finals instead of Nationals Ooh. because we have so many people come over from out of the U.S. and kick all the guys in the U.S.'s butts on the track. So, okay, very cool. Yeah. So you said that these are stock cars. Are there ways that they can customize the car, or is it stuck how they receive it? Anything you can do customization-wise is going to be a, a matter of preference. It's okay. it's never going to add or take away any sort of performance asset. Um, your everything down to the steering wheel really is, is like steering wheel, your shifter, things like that. You customize based on where you, how your body fits in the car and what you like to do. Other than that, it's it's just spec all the way across. Everyone's yeah. got the same thing. So there are a couple of different model styles that they can choose from and right. kind of create their car in in some ways? Is there one that's preferred over the other? Most of the time, we have this very strange setup that is a 34 Ford Coupe body with a Chevy front end. Couldn't tell you why, (laughs) but uh, our guys are very particular. They're very superstitious about how the body looks and how it fits on the car, and that's what they tend to like. So, uh, yeah, that's that's where it usually ends up. But the sedans tend to run a lot on the road course. And, uh, and on dirt, different ways to get the top end to roll over to corner better. So, All yeah. right, very cool. Now, is there a different tire setup that they can choose based on the track that they're on? Sure, you can stagger your tires differently based on like how you shape them in the camber and the toe and different ways you set up your suspension. But as far as what tire to use, there's one compound for, uh, for asphalt tracks. There's a compound for dirt tracks. There's a compound that we bring out when there's just enough water on the track to, to make a rain tire worth it, okay. but not so much that the cars are hydroplaning the whole way around. So, <laughs> we don't want that. Yeah. Now, uh, you mentioned there being rain. Is there, are there pit stops during the middle of the races? How long are the races? Tell me a little bit about Races that. are nice and short. It's probably about 25 laps for, for like an oval track like this one, 25 lap feature. Um, you really aren't going to see a lot of live pit stops. Uh, maybe in the international markets, they might do something like that. But as far as in the U.S., we keep our races pretty short. Gas tanks somewhat small. Okay. And uh, 
you know, keeps the drivers fresh for another event. We run multiple races over a weekend rather than one big race. All right. Yeah. Now, you mentioned that the gas tank is small. Is there a special kind of gas that these cars take? Or they no, just, it's they pump, just go pump to 93. Local? That's what we recommend. Just huh. uh, premium gas from uh, we, wherever you want to go buy it. Usually a track will have like a specific station they tell people to go buy from where they got to deal with the guy down the track or, or just trying to keep that gas uh, consistent. Yeah, totally. Yeah. How fast can these guys go? Really, we don't see them get too much faster than about a buck 15 on a road course in the draft i will say we've seen them get up to north of 120 wow. um, which is in a car as small as a legend car is, is pretty exhilarating yeah um, but all these ovals and whatnot they're gonna they're not really gonna break three digits very very often okay the, the bandoleros are more like a 70 mile an hour top speed all right so tell me about the engine with the new car yeah so the bandolero it's a small 30 cc really, really it's a lawnmower engine okay. that's been done up <laughs> in uh, in harrisburg by our guys at the shop they uh, they replaced some performance aspects of it to make it more raceable, and then the engine in the Legend car is uh, as a result of a direct partnership with Yamaha. We uh, we get engines from their FZ09 motorcycle bike that uh, comes over. We take that engine out, do some conversions to make it fit into a car, and then we run that. That's now, is there as the as once they get the car, right? Can they make any changes or adjustments to these engines? The engines are sealed top to bottom. The process that we put the engine through to get it from a bike engine to a car engine uh, allows it to perform exactly how I want the engine to perform. We keep that variable consistent across all of our competitors. You can't outspend somebody to go faster. Yeah. So that's the idea. Yeah. Truly keeping it fair. Um, okay, so when you when these cars crash, because they do crash. They do crash. It's a heavy contact. Yes, lots uh, of contact. Racing style. So when they crash, do you guys do the repairs, or are the families responsible for the repairs? We sell parts. We have done repairs with people in the past. Most of the time, the people are buying the parts and having someone work on the car for them or working on it as a family. Sure. Um, but yeah, you, you're buying crash parts are usually our cheapest parts. They're the parts that are most accessible, most available, highest quantities, lowest amount. So um, we try and uh, we try and provide those at the track so you can fix the car before the weekend's over. Nice. So for our listeners that can't see us, that are listening to us right now, the bumpers on these cars look like they're significantly further away from the car. Why is that? Well, you just want to keep some distance between the drivers. You know, we want to... We want that point of impact to happen before anything actually breaks in the car. Sure. A bumper is in the $30 range. So if, you want, if you're going to replace a part, rather than replace your radiator and your intake, better <laughs> to replace a $30 bumper that you can throw in the garbage, have it recycled, made into another cheap bumper that's going to go yeah. in the car. All right. Well, speaking of crashes, what are some of the safety features that these cars have? These, these cars are all SFI rated. So uh, NASCAR uses the same same standard for their safety requirements. Um, we require fire suits to be SFI rated, seat belts to be SFI rated, helmets, gloves, shoes, and the seat itself is actually all SFI rated. So we go with SFI because they are the predominant safety requirement system in the U.S. So do you guys oversee the seat fits or is that so this is a family thing here? The seats are usually done by third-party seat manufacturers. We've got seats at the shop that we'll put in cars, you know, if you need one last minute. We prefer that you go to somebody who's a skilled seat builder so they can fit you for the seat, they can mount it how it's supposed to be mounted, and make sure everything's up to date and up to the requirements for the current, current regulations. Safety at, safety's at the forefront. Safety's the most important yes, thing here. Absolutely. So how many drivers do you typically see per race? Per race, if you're on a quarter mile like this, maybe 25 drivers on track. Um, pretty packed. You can get a little yeah. bit hectic out there. 
Uh, on a road course, you can see as many as up to 35. If it's a big road course, um, they just got, they'll get spread out, and you know they're not really bothering anybody out there. So now, are we seeing 90-year-olds competing against some of these 10-year-olds? Depending or? on where you are, that can happen. Really? So here we got a big group. We've got about 200-ish cars here this weekend. So with 200 cars, you can still have those ages, no problem. Yeah. Some of these tracks that run local races, we sanction 2,000 races a year between the U.S., Canada, and Australia. Wow. So some of these smaller tracks that have smaller car counts. You really don't have no choice. If you got three 10-year-olds and six 90-year-olds, you got to run together. So they run together, and actually, that's where we see the best racing. There's like a respect level from the young guy to the older guy, the older guy to the young guy, that causes them to race better with each other. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's so cool. Do you see father-sons or brothers competing against each other? Huge family sport. I compare it to like, a, uh, like youth hockey or youth baseball. Everyone travels together. Of course, when the little bro or the little sister wants to follow whatever the older sibling's doing, you end up buying another car and getting involved. That's amazing. Yeah. So do you see female drivers? Do you see sisters and moms? Are there moms out I mean, there? Yes, absolutely. Okay. We've, got, we've got one of the most diverse racing groups in all the world. I mean, being as international as we are and focusing on this price point that allows it to be accessible for everybody, we really try and make it, there's no limitation as to, your only limitation is really if you want to get in a race car. Yeah. So yeah, we make it available for everybody. Now, Legend Cars, what what series does it prepare some of these drivers for? Like these younger guys that are maybe into karting and then they come into this, what's kind of the next step for them? I would say you've got a combination of really any any racing series where there's a lot of power and not a lot of weight. Okay. These cars are very torquey. They've got a very pretty decent size, almost liter size engine in this bike or in okay. this this car that's uh that's gonna be very powerful for the for the weight of the car. So if you go into a late model next or maybe even a, like a truck series car, an ARCA car, uh, you're kind of on that NASCAR track. However, at the same time, for your more powerful open wheel series, it's good to prepare by driving a car that's kind of hard to handle. That's what these are. They're not yeah. easy to drive. Okay, very cool. So what's the ballpark number for a year of racing for one of these families for one car? I would say if you can get in the car for about 20 grand, I mean, that's after you bought your seat, your helmet, all, everything you need to buy. You're probably going to want to budget about 10 to 15 grand on crash parts and tires for the entire season. Mm -hmm. So you're in the whole car for a season for, I mean, 35 grand, which, I mean, you really can't go racing for 35 grand for a whole year. You really can't. That's you can do this, these days. So we try and be that outlier that, uh, that makes it possible to do that. Very cool. Yeah. I love how accessible it is. I love how safe it is. I love how considerate it is of people from all economic lifestyles. And that it, it's, an, it's an avenue for people to be able to go and pursue other forms of racing yeah. without breaking the bank. Absolutely. So is there like an aerodynamic sporty design available? Really what you see out there now is what they have. It's uh, The cars weren't designed to be aerodynamic cars. It was more so of a, a, a almost like a motion, like an inertia car. You're trying to keep the speed going around the corners, whereas an F1... You're pulling it through the corners to keep the air on top of the car. With these, you're kind of wrestling it to make it turn in the first place. So there's a lot more work being had. puts a lot more work on the driver's hands. It's less of this and more wrestling the wheel the whole time. Okay, so you're kind of fighting with the car. Yeah. And like I said, it's not, they're, they're, they're a beast to drive. I, there's a reason I'm over here and not in the car. <laughs> they're hard to drive. I believe it. Well, thank you so much for meeting with us today. Thank you. If any of our listeners want to follow you on social media, where should they go? Yeah, so US Legend Cars is uh, at US Legend Cars on Instagram, uh, Twitter, and Facebook. Just search US Legend Cars. Um, me personally, I'm at GrahamSmith87 on all platforms. Uh, yeah, give us a look, give us a follow, and I'll hopefully come out to a race in the video.
Yeah, are we going to see you at any Formula One races this year? Hopefully. I'd love to go to Austin this year. I'd yeah. love to see that. Um, you know, I'd love to maybe take a logic car down there and sneak on the track, see how quickly I get thrown out. <laughs> well, we're going to Austin, so if you're there, we'd love to see you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your Thanks time. Thanks so much, Graham. It was nice talking to you. Appreciate it. Until next time. It was just a balm to my soul to listen to the purr and the rumble of the motors last week after I feel like we haven't had any Formula One in so long. I mean, I felt like I like I looked like a kid in a candy store as I was walking up to the to the race. I was like, ah, I can hear them. So, Buck, tell us a little bit for this checkered flag segment. Tell us a little bit more about GT racing. GT car racing is probably the most well-known sport car racing around the world. I knew nothing about it, but Sonoma Raceway had GT America and GT World Challenge race a few weeks ago. So I traveled out there to get a firsthand experience of it all. To give a little background, GT Auto Racing are high-performance sports cars derived from production models with the two major classes being GT3 and GT4. Now they run a similar system that we're familiar with, the lower the number, the higher performance. So one of the key aspects of GT3 and GT4 racing is the concept of balance of performance, which aims to equalize the performance of different makes and models of the cars to create a level playing field. So that way you can get a Porsche 911 or a particular Aston Martin or BMW, and they're all going to be similarly matched against each other. So it really does come down to the driver. So while the cars are made by different manufacturers with different engines, the engine sizes and power and performance are all pretty much standardized like a spec series. So whereas IndyCar, they're using the same chassis and everything is is about as equal as it can get. Here, they're all different cars, but they're made to be a little bit more equal. So you can focus on all right, which driver is getting the most out of that car. G, uh, GT3 cars are the top class. They're highly modified production versions. You actually have to get these from the uh, manufacturer. So you'd call Porsche and say, hey, I'm starting a race team. I want a Porsche race car. Oh, wow. As one does, just casually calls Porsche. As one does. And you have the GT America series that just stays here in the States. You've got GT World Challenge, which starts overseas. They do the, I believe there's a race in Dubai that's kicked off this world challenge series in january and if i'm not mistaken that was valentina rossi driving a bmw in abu dhabi at that season opener which was exciting to hear about and i heard all this from the only fans racing p1 group race team that invited me out to sonoma to talk with them and learn a little bit more about this so, so wait, OnlyFans has a team? Absolutely. So OnlyFans, which you may be aware of through whatever means you're aware of, is at its core very much, and this is not a paid <laughs> uh, no. sponsorship bit. <laughs> we, are not, we are not sponsored by OnlyFans. No. Uh, although after learning what I've learned, I would have no problem with that at all because they, at their core, are very much about connecting fans with those who they are fans of. So stand-up comedians have now started switching to OnlyFans and becoming that's becoming the medium with which they are connecting with their fans. And they're holding like the, I think the roast of Burt Kreischer was recently hosted on OnlyFans by Whitney Cummings. How interesting. It, there are 
a mass array of creators, artists uh, of all types on OnlyFans using it as a tool to connect with their fan base, including motorsports. So that is a huge initiative for OnlyFans right now, it seems. And they are very, you know, accessible for fans of motorsport to connect directly with the driver or the team that they are are fans of. They invited me down to Sonoma and I sat down with uh, the president of P1 Group and the driver for the OnlyFans Porsche race car. And they gave me a really great crash course in GT racing because I knew nothing about it. And they were very welcoming. That's so cool. And I'll show you guys a snippet of my interview with them right now. Eric Birch, president of P1 Group. Alex Vogel driving the 043 Porsche GT3R for OnlyFans P1 Group Racing by MRS. Okay, and how so, long have you guys been around? Started P1 Group in 2006. And we basically place drivers all over the world. We manage drivers. We uh, put programs together like this one, and which we essentially sourced from the ground up with uh, in conjunction with Alex and built this program around Alex for the season. Okay, and how long have you been racing this class of car? This is my first year running in uh, in this uh, this class. I uh, kicked it off this year in January with the 24 hours of Dubai. Oh, wow, okay. And how long have you been racing in cars in general? The better part of the last 10 years, uh, working my way up from some of the amateur endurance series to last year doing half a season in Porsche Sprint Challenge, and then this year moving over to GT America and the GT3. Outstanding. And what did, what did you race like early in your career? What did you start out with? Started with uh, Lemons, the gateway drug for, uh, for endurance racing, uh, and then uh, moved up to the American Endurance Racing Series here in North America, uh, won that national championship in 2021, uh, driving a, effectively what was an IMSA spec Cayman uh, from about 2016, uh, and then moved up to the 992 Cup car last year, and then the GT3R this year. Is there anything like exciting coming up for P1 Group that we may not, I may not have found online that you want to share with everybody? I would say the next big thing for us that's going to happen beyond what we're doing is uh, launching our merchandise line with OnlyFans Racing. So that's um, that's going to be hitting soon, and it's going to be we want to hit it hot and heavy. What's great about a race weekend like this? It's not just one kind of car there's there's the gt3 the gt4 then there's like a toyota series where it's only this one toyota car and everyone's driving that same exact car and what i noticed and i talking to other fans the smaller and slower the car the more exciting the racing got to be really (laughs) this this absolutely true do people get more into it like the smaller and slower or is it just more fun all around i think i i think the element is that because you're in person and this is kind of why I, I am mm-hmm. a little reticent to go to an F1 race, mm-hmm. is that you can see at an F1 race, I imagine sitting at a corner, you're going to catch about 15, 20% of the race, if you're lucky. Whereas at, at Sonoma Raceway, I could see a good chunk of the track. I probably could see about 40% of the track. But when these cars are moving a little slower, you get to see more of that action. Mm. So you get to see mm. that battle slowly approaching you. And as they, because I sat by a chicane and they would come directly at us and then slow down for the chicane and some cars would miss it and go off into the dirt. And oh, yeah, I was live streaming to Twitch uh, to our our, our fans on Gravel Trap TV. And 
as I'm interviewing somebody, I had to swivel the camera around real quick because <laughs> there there was a, a Mustang or not a Mustang, a, a, Cam, a Camaro, I think, went off and, you know, in, into the dirt and he, he didn't get hurt or anything. He got back on track. But it, I think it's it, it feels more accessible mm-hmm. and they're cars that you recognize. This harkens back yeah. to if, if you've ever watched uh, Ford versus Ferrari. <gasps> Have yes. I? I love that okay. movie. Mm-hmm. The motto back then was race on Sunday, buy on Monday. Yeah. So yeah. you release the new Mustang, the new Corvette. You put it into this local race series out in some track in California everyone goes to. And they leave. And the next day they walk into a Ford or Chevy dealership and be like, I saw that car win the race yesterday. I want that. That's cool. It makes, I've never wanted a Porsche before, but let me tell you, <laughs> after, <laughs> after having uh, Alex Vogel, the driver of the OnlyFans car, you know, give me a tour of the interior of the car because the steering wheels aren't that different from the F1. It looks identical yeah. in, in a lot of ways. And watching him just pull away and, and, and the roar of that, it just, all right, maybe I'll, maybe I want to get a Porsche one day. Maybe, Consider a Porsche. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Yeah, could. Now see, my big question is, how many of these cars have passenger seats and what do I have to do to get driven around a track in one of them? So I did not get that opportunity. Uh, it did not have a passenger seat, uh, unless I would have, I would have asked. Yeah. What I have noticed going to, uh, this, this race and Laguna Seca, which is South of the San Francisco area. I saw Zach Brown race a historic F1 car a couple years ago there. And what they'll do between, practice sessions or between races is they'll have these sponsored runs where you can sign up or maybe purchase a, uh, a ride along on track and they'll take you out in a, in a car that you, not a race car, but it'll be a car that you could buy off a showroom floor. Mm-hmm. So they had Corvettes and I think there was a, a new G, Ford GT and they were taking people out. There's a whole segment of each day dedicated to that kind of little fun run around the track. So if you get lucky, um, you you know, you oh, might be able to get on there. Luck has nothing to do with it. <laughs> Thank you for letting me uh, join you guys and ramble about GT racing for a little while. Uh, as I said, you can catch the whole interview with OnlyFans P1 Group Racing on our YouTube channel. And we'll also have an extended cut of Caroline's interview with uh, US Legends Racing on our YouTube channel as well. Well, it's been a day. We talked about some racing, IndyCar, GT, and... Legends. Legend cars. Only legends drive legend car racing. It's been a good time and a long time, and we will see you again next week. How are you race fans? Oh my gosh. You say we're on a break one more time, I'm going to break up with you. (laughs) Thank you so much for tuning in, race fans. It means a lot. If you enjoy our podcast, a great way to support us is by leaving a rating or review. And if you include your Formula One hot take or unpopular opinion in your review, we'll shout them out on the show.